Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McGallum. And uh, we took a week off just to let things settle and kind of get some more news uh, under us. You know, we did our award show about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and then uh, we were going to record last week, but there just wasn't a ton to talk about. We were about halfway through uh, the third round and it's officially wrapped up and the Stanley Cup Finals are underway. Uh, I'm really liking this quick turnaround. I'm not, I'm not going to lie, um, but this week we got... Uh, a lot to talk about. Um, let's get into the serious stuff first. I, I don't want to push this off too far. Um, it's something that, you know, it's not fun to talk about, but it's important to talk about. Uh, former unnamed Chicago Blackhawks player has came out and uh, is suing the organization, um, uh, claiming that he was sexually assaulted by a video, co- uh, video coach uh, and that the video coach sexually assaulted him and a teammate back in 2010. Um, this story then developed to the point where there's been allegations made that just about everyone in the organization, especially the front office at the time, uh, worked together to cover it up at, at the time. So um, this isn't great. Uh, there's been a couple of teammates who have already come out and spoke out. Uh, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but one said the front office should, quote, be in jail, which uh, is not a great look. The Blackhawks have now commissioned their own independent investigation, which is a little sketchy because how independent can an investigation be if the team is the one launching it themselves? Um, the first investigation was an independent investigation and nothing else, correct? Yeah, and like I, from what it sounds like, it, there was barely – an investigation done. It was just a very hard cover up. Um, it's just uh, so in the in the article here from um, um, Rick Westhead. Uh, there's just some like there's some quotes that like uh, just kind of jarring to read, but uh, it says John Doe won. So just that's how they're describing them in the article, seeking 150k in his lawsuit. Um, uh, the one person, however, said uh, that's a figure as a placeholder and lawyers can only suggest award damages to juries. She said this case is likely worth at least $10 million. Um, if we're, you know, like if you want to know the seriousness of this and it's, we don't need to get into the details, um, but it, it's something that, you know, we've talked about a lot, honestly, in the last uh I don't know, 18 months or so about, you know, the culture of this sport changing. And this is another thing that, um, you know, it's good that someone can feel that they can come out. It's, it's crazy that it, you know, it takes 11 years to do so. And it's even crazier that, you know, finally when someone comes out and does this people's first reaction was so what it was 11 years ago, as if that should have any kind of difference as if it was like two years ago. Yeah. It should not matter when it's, disgusting that this happened and like i know we can't be certain of anything yet but just statistically uh believe survivors like this nearly certainly happened even though what we're working with is alleged and um yeah it's it's pathetic that it was allowed to happen i don't really i don't really know what all like what all needs to be said about it because anyone who's thinking rationally knows that this is just awful yeah, and it's even more pathetic that so many people covered up. And the thing about this is the 2010 Blackhawks, uh, they won a Stanley Cup that year. And there was a lot of people from that team that went and got jobs elsewhere, including Mark Bergevin, who was currently in the Cup final, Joel Quenville, who was currently on a big ticket in Florida, you know, Scott Bowman. It's just like yeah. there's a there's a ton of people around the league that were working for that team and need to be questioned. And if it is found and it comes out true that, you know, they hid this stuff over and, you know, tried to 
try to just blow it over. Like they should not be in hockey anymore. It's it, simple as that. They should be fired on the spot. They should definitely never be allowed in the NHL again. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. It sounds like it either is or should be illegal as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like you're like, I'm, again, yeah, I don't know the terms of it, but it feels like you're abetting a crime. Like you, you knew about something and you're trying to actively blow it up or like hide it up, you know, like cover it over. Yeah. hundred percent. And then there was who had the quote out agents not believing it because the players were stronger than the video coach. Oh God. I, yeah, I don't know. I forget who had it. And I hate to promote this man, but like, if you, you don't even need to go outside hockey. Like you just read Theo Fleury's book on his own sexual assault. Like just like that. It can still happen even though yeah. you're physically stronger than someone. Like that's not the only thing that matters here. Unfortunately. Yeah, like, absolutely. And you know, it's, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of things, you know, like, so now, of course, a lot of former players are being asked and uh, shocker. A lot of those answers are just as bad as well. You know, like I think it was, was it Vermette or someone? I, I don't want to use names because if, if I got it wrong, I don't, but if someone came out and was asked about it, and he goes, yeah, I don't know. All I know is Chicago is a first class organization. It's like, that's not the answer you should be giving here. And if after all of these stories coming out, your answer is still, yeah, they're a first-class organization, uh, maybe you really need to judge what is first-class or what you think first-class actually is. But Yeah. Especially because part of the Sopo quote said every guy in the room knew, correct? Yeah, that's what they were – I think the guys who came out and said something had said, oh, yeah, no, like the the guys in the room knew about this as well. They weren't uh, hiding. And, and again, you know – Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not, but it's, it's one of those things where either way, it's just, you, you hate, like you hate to even think about it. Yeah. It's, it's a horrible thing to have to think about, especially again, knowing that it's most likely that did happen and it's probably not going to get handled very well either. No. And it's, it's like, I don't know, like, there's not much we can say on it, obviously, but, and, you know, it's one of the things where uh, when we were planning this, I not going to lie. It's not a topic. I really want to, you know, it's not something where me and you are saying we're going to record. It's like, yes, let's get to talk about this. Obviously it's a very sensitive topic for anyone and it's a tough one to talk about, but um, discussing it's important because uh, a lot of the, big names in hockey media have stayed quiet. And there was even a report or Rick Westhead was on uh, TSN radio West and said, he's heard reports that Batman in the front office are trying to use their sources to keep a lot of the big names quiet. And until 31 thoughts came out, it was like probably seven or top seven or eight of the top guys you consider insiders. So, you know, Friedman, LeBron, um, Dreger, uh, Sarah Volley, um, you know, that whole list, none of them had even mentioned the story. And then on 31 Thoughts, uh, Friedman let off with it and talked about it a little bit. So, um, you know, that's at least good to see. But, you know, just the fact that how silent some of these guys have been is just absolutely freaking insane um, on, on such a massive story. Yeah, it was pretty pathetic. And, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of any way to rationalize it. Maybe they had to, like, go to their bosses to uh, like the legal team or something like that. Like I'm trying to think of a way to rationalize it other than just hockey's culture is pathetic. 
when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, and I just uh, no fit like and again, it's not like these guys are like shit people, right? Like I'm not saying like Chris Johnson's a brutal person or whatever, but it's just I I don't give hockey culture, especially the benefit of the doubt here, and it's honestly pathetic how the situation's been handled for the uh, um, you know from the the massive media. Yeah, because like this feels like it should be a. Like this should be the top story. Like this should be one of the biggest stories of the year, and I've like, barely seen it covered. Not even just like like this. The fact that the most successful organization of the 2010s, or like early 2010s at least, covered up a sexual assault in the early 2010s. Like you would think that would be one of the biggest stories in sports. Yeah, and like and. Not that like sexual assault, sexual assault, it would be, but it's on one of their own players. It's not like this was like an arena staff or something like that. And it's like, oh shit, what, how is the front office supposed to know about that? Literally it's on one of their own players. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, yeah. Cause the fact that it's on, obviously it's not good no matter what, but like, and, and, but like it's, it's so much worse to try to claim ignorance or try to hush it away when it was on a player in the third round. Cause like it, it's plausible at least that some people could not know about things if this guy was like really low in the organization or whatever, but like say you're, I don't know, Mark Bergevin, the director of player personnel, you might not know something that happened to like the 17th highest ranked guy in the medical staff you damn well better have known this happened to one of your fucking players if everyone in the room did. Yeah, exactly. And so um, we'll have to see where it goes. And, you know, you only kind of hope that, uh, you know, it gets a little more coverage as it goes on and good on the people who have been covering it because this is not an easy story to report on. And I'm sure it, uh, it doesn't please a lot of people that it is being reported as well. Yeah, 100%. It's just a... There's no winning with something like this. No, like there, there really isn't. Like, because, you know, at the end of the day, even if the lawsuit does come through, which is the best case scenario, it's not like anyone won from getting sexually assaulted. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, so. Um, prefer to not have the money and to not be sexually assaulted. It, contrary to some people believe for some reason. Exactly. So, um, we had to get that out of the way there just you know no no dancing around it so um you know we don't usually like to start with such a dark tone to the podcast but uh i just kind of felt like we would have been beaten around the you know the bush or you know the elephant in the room would have been there for until, until we talked about it so uh let's go let's let's move on to some actual hockey stuff all right um it's been a busy week uh a lot has happened really like i guess this is what happens kind of when you take two weeks off but it's been a very busy time uh the third round's wrapped up we have a stanley cup final it is two eastern conference teams on a normal year um the montreal Canadiens versus the tampa bay lightning just like everyone predicted sort of not really not at all um tampa not that big of a shock i mean they were third in their own division but we all kind of knew it's like okay yeah kucherov missed the whole year stamkos missed a bunch of the year i don't think like people are trying to make it out as if like yeah it was a given that tampa was going to be here no 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 no, not at all like tampa earned their way here and they played some hell of like a hell of a couple series to get here um but you know it wasn't just some like given that tampa was going to be here like a golden state in 2016 or whatever 
yeah, like they, they still had to work to get there. Um, there were scenarios in which this could have shaken out that they weren't even the favorites. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, on the other hand, we have the Montreal Canadiens, which, uh, you know, we've talked about their run a lot and we're going to talk about them a little more here, um, but uh, credit to them. You know, they're, they're in the Stanley Cup final and say we can say what we want about this team and we will continue to say what we want about this team. No one is can take that away or will take it away that they have made it to the Stanley Cup finals. You know, yeah, good for them. I hate mm-hmm. the Canadians, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not like I care to see them win or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, if someone got to watch that 2017 run where everyone doubted you, it, it kind of it, it feeds to the um, not pressure, the uh, excitement as well, you know, where it's like. Um, I, I want to go against this narrative that they've been heavy underdogs in quote every series. They were at worst 50% chance against the uh, Winnipeg Jets in round two, but they were definitely heavy underdogs in rounds one and three and, and we'll be again here, but um, let's get into both series, I guess, quick. We'll start with the Montreal one, Montreal Vegas. Um, didn't exactly, you know, I, I thought it was going to be a long series, you know, Chandler Stevenson going down though, really took the, the winds out of Vegas's sails and, Uh, Montreal just continue to play the perfect kind of game that they have to where, you know, they just really, they, they crowded the star players of the opposing team said, we're going to take away your best line and let your other three try and beat our, our, the next three from us. And if you can, great. If you can't, well, too bad. And um, so far they're three for three doing that. Yeah, it's, it's worked. (laughs) It worked like especially well against Vegas relative to Toronto because like, yeah, it's not worth discussing them as underdogs against Winnipeg because I think we both had them favored. But like, yeah, it's and and but this time, like the Leafs outscored and did actually outplay them. Like they, they earned this like over and above. They outplayed the Vegas Golden Knights, which is insane. Yeah, absolutely. And like, on like it's it's weird to think about because yeah, it, it their playoffs have gone in two different things. From game five on in the Toronto series. And honestly, like game five and six, I thought they, they very easily could have lost either one of them. Carey Price stood on his head for a couple of those games. And then the Leafs just absolutely looked like they were scared shitless coming out in game seven. Um, but at the same time, you know, that Winnipeg series, it's not like Carey Price, like he was good. He's been very good this whole playoffs. And, you know, that Vegas series, he had a couple games. I, I thought he stole game... Uh, it was game two, I want to say, and maybe game five. I thought Carey Price absolutely stood on his head. But, like, the aggregate of the series, it's not like Montreal deserved to lose four or five of the games or anything like that. In fact, they ended up losing a game I thought they also deserved to win, the one that Robin Leonard stole in game game four, I want to say. And so it's it's been pretty impressive that, you know, since, um, you know, the, the first round especially, they, they have just outplayed the teams that they have faced, and, and they've earned their way here. Yeah, like, they, they absolutely – deserve to be here more than Vegas, which is nuts. Like I, I could have imagined a world in which they got PDO, but for them to just straight up outplay the Knights wild. Yeah. And is there anyone who's made more money this postseason run than Philip Deneau? He's got to have just had the most profitable. What does he have? Like three goals or something? Three. He doesn't have a goal. He has three assists, zero goals and three assists. And I was listening to someone on the radio yesterday argue that if, Behind Carey Price, he's probably their runner-up for the um, Conn Smythe right now. And I don't even know if I can disagree. Yeah. 
I want to disagree. Um, but like, who are you going to put ahead of him? Like maybe if, um, if Cole Caulfield keeps scoring like he did in round three, you could say Cole Caulfield or someone like that. But like Philip Deneau has shut down. He like, he did a very solid job at shutting down Matthews, that Matthews minor line. Uh, I think the score was that it was one, nothing for Toronto when that those two were on the ice against Deneau, which if you're Montreal over a seven game series, you're taking that every day of the year. Now, a lot, again, some of that was goaltending luck when he played Blake Wheeler because Mark Shifley took him off, <laughs> took himself out of the series versus Blake Wheeler. It was three, nothing for the Deneau line. And against the Mark Stone line, I believe it was two, nothing for the Deneau line or one, nothing, something crazy like that. Like he's basically let up like two or three goals against the opposition's top line to all playoffs. And when you have that neutralized for you, like it's just so effective where like teams are going to, I think, line up to just give this guy a payday this um, this offseason. And A, I don't think it'll quite be worth it, but B, good on him because he's been one of the more underrated players um, for a while now, I would argue. Yeah, he's going to get like the Brian Bickle treatment just on steroids. But like he's been so underpaid for so long, good for him. Because he's been an amazing hockey player and he's not been paid like it recently. Yeah, absolutely. And as long as it's not Ottawa paying him, I, I, I should say. Um, but it's, yeah. And then on the opposite side of things, has anyone lost more money this postseason than Thomas Tatar? Because he's been a healthy scratch this entire time. Which is insane to think about, to be honest. Like, I don't even know if they're playing their, I mean, how, how can you argue with the lineup that's been going right now? But like, I don't even know if they're playing their quote unquote ideal lineup because they're literally sitting a first line forward in the press box. Yeah, they're sitting like, like their fourth best skater and they're yeah. not a good with and this is still happening yeah like it, it's just kind of crazy like um so I, I don't know credit to the habs uh you know vegas it's oh boy it's going to be interesting to see what they do this offseason so they're they're exempt from the expansion draft but you know they're under a bit of a cap crunch anyways and now apparently they want to go, well, everyone's speculating, speculating that they need to go out and add a centerman. <laughs> and I just don't know with what damn money are they going to go add a goddamn centerman to this team? And who are they adding? Like Eichel has been linked to the Vegas Golden Knights. In what world is this team finding the cap space to add Jack freaking Eichel to his team? The only way they can get like an Eichel is if Flurry is like... Going you, have up. To, you have to get rid of Fleury, Stevenson, and I guess Alec Martinez is coming off the books. That would fit you, Eichel, but then you have literally no cap space. Like what? Yeah, like why would Buffalo want Fleury? Vegas does have this magical power in which they were cap strapped last year, and they still got Pedrangelo. They're just linked to everyone all of the time, no matter what. Somehow. Yeah, but um, it'll be interesting to see. So they have, right now they have six million dollars in cap space. They need to re-sign. Uh, Alec Martinez, and honestly, probably another defenseman. They they have Petrangelo, Theodore, McNabb, Hag, White Cloud coming back so far. Um, I would assume you probably want a depth defenseman there as well. Uh, I honestly, going into this year, I didn't think they'd want. Or, well, I didn't. I don't see why anyone would want to re-sign Martinez. Martinez and Petrangelo were an actual good pairing this year. Um, if you could get Martinez cheap, knowing what he was, I would say go for it again. But knowing the NHL, they don't really know how to discern you know partnership and i feel like uh martinez might get paid for petrangelo's play 
Yeah, Martinez seems like the kind of guy who's going to get just grossly overpaid this summer. Like the kind of contract that some team's going to sign it and it's going to be untradeable immediately. Evolving Hockey hasn't projected that. Four years, $5.8 million. Now, that would surprise me, but still, I do think he's going to get more money than he should. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I wouldn't want to touch that deal. I mean, and he was, like, again, he was legitimately good this year from, like, an RAPM standard, but he's been bad for years before, and he's 33. I'm going to assume he probably didn't just randomly turn a corner. It might be that uh, Norris-level defenseman they signed for $8.8 million playing with him. Yeah, that sounds sounds to me a little more likely, like uh, why he just magically got good at in his mid or 30s. Yeah, I am interested to see what they do in goaltending. I think they should sell on Flurry. Sell high. He's got one more year left at 7 mil. I think a team like Pittsburgh would still absolutely love him. You might have to retain a little bit or find a third party to take some money on. Um, but, like, sell high on Flurry. You're not going to get more assets. Than, like, they couldn't give Flurry away, basically, last offseason unless they wanted to give assets up. I honestly think some team would probably give, like, a second-round pick at least up for Marc-Andre Flurry right now. Oh, Maybe I a would... first if they if they retained, like, $3 million. Yeah, if you're willing to retain a bunch, you probably could. And, like, the best part about having two good goalies like that is you can just go into a starter with the, like, runner-up from two seasons ago, Vesna. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like, ever I feel like... It's crazy how people talk about Robin Leonard. They're like, I think Mark Andre, like so many times, I, and I, I'm a little biased because I listen to Overdrive, and I, I fully know that they don't exactly pay attention to the entire league as much as you know maybe I do. Where you know, like I, I watch Ottawa, I watch all Ottawa games, of course, but then you know I'm sitting there looking at just about everything every night. Whereas no normal human should even be doing that. Um, <laughs> but at, at the same time, it's just like. Like, they'll talk about, oh, yeah, like, I think Flurry's better, but Leonard's, like, just a little bit worse. It's like, no, I think Robin, like, obviously not this one season. Flurry had an outstanding season. was amazing, and Leonard was hurt for half of it. But if I had to guess going next year, and if you just look after the last three years, Robin Leonard has been the better goalie, even with this Marc-Andre Flurry year. So you could, if you could move Flurry, now the problem is if you move Flurry and you hold on to more than, like, what, $2 million in cap? You probably got to go find a backup for two and a half mil as well. So how much are you really saving there? Probably a couple mil. And then you have about, depends what you do with Martinez on the back end, but you will have about eight mil to sign two forwards and a defenseman. Maybe you do go find a centerman, but I don't know who that is. Like, is there a name that you think Vegas should be looking at to shore up the center depth? Do you think they're okay with just stacked wingers going William Carlson, Chandler Stevenson up the middle? What do you think they should do? Now, there's a chance this contract is ugly that we just spoke about. But, like, if they can free up enough space with a flurry trade, like, a team whose window fits the Deneau contract that's about to be signed is probably Vegas. Just like, oh, screw it. We are absolutely all in now. It, this is going to hurt in the future, but we don't care because our team's good enough to win a cup now. I can see Vegas being a good, good team like that if he's going to sign in, like, the $5 million range. I don't know what his expected salary is going to be, though. Yeah, I mean, that that's fair enough. Like, it'd be interesting. And, uh, wow, that would be a very defensive line of him and Mark Deneau and Mark Stone. I don't think anything would be getting through there. Um, another one that I maybe thought of, I, again, I, I think this will kind of depend on how much term he's asking for more than anything. But David Krejci, like, it, it sounds like Boston might be letting him go. 
I can't imagine like he's got to be taking a pay cut off of seven point two five at the, but he's thirty five years old. So if he asks for more in like two years, you might be in some trouble, right? Like, is Krejci good anymore? That's honestly I've never looked into recently. He's he's good defensively. He doesn't do much offensively, and he was really good on the power play. But I'm not sure how much I want to credit that to him. And last year he was very missed. So maybe you should be careful with that one. Like this year he had solid defensive results, especially by an RAPM result anyways. His expected goals per 60 and Corsi against per 60 were like strong, but his uh, most of his offensive statistics were not. And then two years ago it was a lot of meh, just a lot of very close to average or like um, zero. And then three years ago he was all above average. So if you could get him on a two-year contract, he might not be the worst option out there, but uh, maybe you want to look a little younger than that too. I, I don't know. Yeah, if there's if there's one team that can go old, it is Vegas because like they're so locked in, everyone's in their prime right now, and probably won't be much longer. Yeah, and the other thing with Vegas is like I'm just not sure like like does does adding another second or third C help them that much? Like obviously you want as much center depth as you can, but like. Like, I don't know, like, if you're going to swing at a guy who's clearly a second or third C, you're probably just as good as going with Chandler Stevenson as your second C or whatever, right? Like, Yeah, I think um, – because people have come out and said, oh, they do need to get that top-line center. That's not a realistic option for them, I don't think, and it never was because the NHL values centermen so heavily. And in the expansion draft, they were never going to be able to give one. Well, like if they just have Chandler Stevenson three times, I think your wingers and defense core are good enough that you can just kind of roll with that. The problem is they just don't even have Chandler Stevenson three times. And that's not a high bar. Yeah. I mean, like right now they're running uh, William Carlson, Chandler Stevenson, and then Nicholas Wall was their third line center this year. And he wasn't bad. He just wasn't amazing either but you know maybe he takes a step up and and you fix it internally because he's pretty young still as well like he's well he's not that young he's 24 and he's 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 older than i thought i'm not gonna lie um but uh yeah i I don't know it's gonna be interesting they have cody glass in the minors too so like he's 22 and he's obviously very very highly touted maybe he becomes that like top six c that they're they're looking for and pushes everyone down the lineup a little bit yeah, that'd be pretty huge because ideally, like Carlson's good. I think he's good enough to win a cup with as your 1C as long as he's surrounded by fantastic players. And clearly Vegas believes that. So, like, ideally you could get a glass or someone into your top six that's a pretty dynamic center. Yeah, well, like, and again, we're saying, like, right now, like, oh, no, you need centermen to win. It's like, okay, like, I guess, but also – the Montreal Canadiens are in the Stanley Cup finals. And like, again, like to is a very solid play, like a very solid centerman, but like, it's not like, like and like Suzuki looks like he's going to be really good, but it's not like to Suzuki, Eric Stahl is an elite trio or anything like that. Also, there's this belief that no team has won without an absolutely elite number one center in like decades forgetting the fact that the Nicholas Backstrom who won the Stanley cup was not 23 year old Nicholas Backstrom. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, like Kuznetsov and Backstrom were both good at the time, but it's not like they were, yeah, it wasn't like Sidney Crosby, Genny Malkin down the middle or anything like that. Yeah. Like if you made a list of the top 15 centers in the league, 
Backstrom and Kuznetsov are not in it. Also, Ryan O'Reilly is somewhere towards the back end of it, and they won back-to-back cups or, like, dueling cups for those teams. Like, you don't need a center, I don't think. You just need some level of competency there. Yeah, like, if you if you don't have the elite number one center, you need a bunch of number two and, at worst, three centers. Like, the difference is on a lot of those teams, the third and fourth lines had number three or number two centers on it because they just had a bunch of guys that were pretty solid, you know, and that's okay. Or you need really, really good wingers and defensemen to surround them. Exactly. Because a lot of teams without true number one centers don't have Mark Stone to carry a Chandler Stevenson because of course there's only like two wingers in the league other than Mark Stone who are that good. And then like Alex Petrangelo won the Norris last year. And like Shea Weber is freaking, or uh, Theodore is freaking amazing. Like as long as you surround them with enough talent, you can do it. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, that's one side of the things. And then the other, we had the, I kind of forgot these two teams played in the conference final last year as well. Tampa and the Islanders, um, not a bad series. I, I don't know how much you watched. Wasn't, um, wasn't as boring. I, I feel like Tampa brings out the best in the, in the Islanders, to be honest. When when the Islanders score four first, you know it's going to be a little boring. But at the same time, like Tampa's just so skilled that they kind of make every team have to play at least a little bit exciting, I, I feel like. And um, it, was, it was pretty solid series. Goes all the way to seven games. Islanders just again, just miss. I don't know if I've ever seen a team that has been back-to-back conference finals where I've had such little faith in them ever moving on than I have the Islanders. And I don't even really like, I kind of mean that as a dunk on the Islanders, but I more mean that as just how poorly they kind of match up to Tampa Bay overall. And it's funny. I say that and they went six and seven games. Like it could have just a fluke one way or the other could have changed the outcome. But like, I was just, I don't know. I know everyone, including myself is like, I do not want to see a Montreal, New York, final or whatever but I was just like I don't I'm not really all that worried about it like I just I always kind of thought Tampa would win in six or seven games and that that's just kind of what happened yeah as much as Tampa Tampa is not invincible they're kind of just like built different like I never have they're they're not invincible but I'm never scared of Tampa Bay losing a playoff series yeah exactly and like like it's just and I don't know. Like, I feel like the, the biggest problem with the, this Islanders team, the way they're built is just they didn't have enough scores to overcome it. Like you took, I think, 15 shots in game seven. It's like, that's just simply not going to get it done. You know? Yeah. Cause Tampa can, Tampa's so good because they can do it in every way. Like they're almost as good defensively as the Islanders. Plus they have three of the best shooters in the entire league and like just dynamic talent everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I, it was it was a good series, though. Like, and you know, we, we just deep dive the the Golden Knights a little bit. It's it's kind of the same idea of where the Islanders go from here, and can they do anything to put them over the hump? Because it feels like to everyone else, they're overshooting their you know their weight class, and yet they've gone back to to back to back conference finals. And, but the the cap crunch keeps on coming. You know, like Adam Pellick is up this year. He's going to cost a good pretty penny. Anthony Bolivier is up this year. He's going to cost a, a raise. Michael Del Cole is up this year. He's going to cost. Uh, he's going to cost a raise. They want to re-sign Kyle Palmieri. I doubt they do that. They have five point seven million dollars to sign uh, all those guys and Ilya Sorokin as well. Who uh, maybe they bridge him, but I doubt he is going to come cheaper than two or three million dollars at least. Yeah, it's a good thing for Lou's legacy that 
like he's assembled a team. He's put a team in front of Trotz that Trotz can work with, and he's that Trotz has gotten everything out of. But like God, they're they're in some ugly cap hell now. Like it well, looks think, like it might be the year that. Like and and like, this is a good time. I think you know we we talked about it last time when we did our awards. We said it was gonna be something stupid like Lou winning GM of the year, and, and of course he did win GM of the year because the way they vote on it is basically just two of the final two of the final four GMs, and then I think it was. Was it the Florida GM who got it? I don't even know who got the third one, but um, like the GM of the year traded a top five defenseman this season for two second round picks and got credit for that. Like the 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 Devon Taves trade was an absolute mess for this team. And weirdest is everyone agrees, like stats people, non stats people, just like overwhelmingly, that was a huge win for Joe Sackett. Yeah, like, and they're they're like no uh, lose GM of the year because he didn't change a single thing. I mean, I get like Anders Lee went down, and I thought the Kyle like we we both liked the Kyle Palmieri trade. We thought that was a pretty solid pickup, but like he just didn't do anything other than that, and just kind of ran the same team back. And they just got some insane goaltending with great coaching on the way back. It's like I, I just I don't see how this is lose doing. He made the roster worse, and they had about the same outcome. Yep. Yeah. He. They won in spite of trading a guy who belonged on Norris ballots this year. Yeah. And just like, and this is why the GM of the year award is so stupid because you can't vote a GM of the year off of one year sample because this team could look absolutely boned in two years. And I get the argument. You got to go for it when you got to go for it. But like this team isn't boned because the, um, because uh, like they went for it. Like if, if, um, Vegas in like four or five years or like what we're kind of starting to see, I think with Washington now, like it's getting to the time where it's like Washington is getting to that hump where it's like, yeah, and Pittsburgh's getting close to there too. I think, you know, maybe you could argue Pittsburgh's got a year or two yet, but um, those teams are kind of getting to the point where it's like, we've been going for it for a decade straight. And one of these days we're just going to have to pay the piper, you know, like there's just, there's no way around it. This team is looking like shit because they signed a bunch of mediocre 29 year olds to a bunch of shit contracts. That's not something good. Like, it's not like, it's not like you need it. Like I get Brock Nelson's not a bad player, but you didn't absolutely need to sign him to a six by six for this team to be a Stanley cup contender or whatever. Exactly. Like they've been way better than anyone expected. And like, good for them. I hope their fans have genuinely enjoyed this. And I'm sure they have because they've gotten to be the underdog a whole bunch and be wildly successful. That's a great combo. But like, if your management keeps making negative expected value moves over and over and over and over and over and over again, that is eventually going to catch up to you. And it looks like it's either time or the year after this upcoming one is the time in which we finally see it happen. Yeah, and like I don't know, like I'm not going to count this roster out next year, but just I don't think there's a way. Let me put it this way: I would be absolutely shocked, and I think Lou would be. I mean, I don't think you should be awarded for cleaning up your own mess, but if he could find a way to put this team over the top talent-wise, where they can actually somehow get better than what they are right now, um, I would be absolutely shocked. Oh yeah. Andrew Ladd is costing them $4.375 million on the books right now because he's buried in the minors. Jesus. I forgot about that one. 
and Thomas Hickey, another 1.375. And that's for one more and two more years. So they're spending 5.75 on just guys they're not using. So I, I wonder if that's going to be an out. I'm assuming they could probably like, they'll save $4.3 million. If you know, they'll, they'll probably pay a second or someone for, I don't know, Arizona or someone to eat Andrew Ladd's cap hit for the rest of, you know, this year and next year. Um, and you know, that, that'll put them up to like just over 11 million, I think in space. And, you know, they'll be able to resign Pellick, probably Bolivier and Sorokin with no problem. And then I don't know what you do to, to fill out the bottom of the lineup, but I just, I don't really see, you know, like with Vegas, I still think there's a clear path forward where it's like, yeah, you retool a little bit. Maybe you try and add a centerman in free agency or, or, you know, maybe you find a guy via trade who's, you know, the two to $3 million cost and can slide in the middle of your lineup. Like the problem with this team is they need a legitimate scorer and a top end talent. I just don't know where they get that from. Yeah, that's pretty tough. Unless one of their, because like Barzell's, Barzell taking a step because he's one of the better players in the league to like, like Barzell taking a Nathan McKinnon level leap would probably be a magic eraser for a lot of their flaws. That's the most realistic way in which I see them going forward and still being fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't even know if that's – like, I still think they need an extra guy to do that kind of thing too. But I don't know. Like, Yeah, they probably do. And, or at least it would be super, super helpful, especially yeah. if they – because I know everybody's fallen in love with Mitch Korn, but, like, I have a feeling he's also not a magician and bad goaltending is going to happen to this team eventually. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I apologize. I mean, it's storming like crazy here. My power just flickered. I was waiting to see if the Wi-Fi shut off. But uh, let's switch to this. <laughs> we, we've been going on this for like 30 minutes now. Let's switch to the actual cup final preview. Uh, we'll keep this quick because I, th- I feel like most people listening will uh, know. But uh, game one happened last night. It was uh, Tampa dominated. It was 5-1 uh, Montreal. Not, they didn't look outclassed necessarily, but Tampa definitely looked like the better team. Uh, I expect Montreal to rebound. I don't think this will be a sweep or anything like that, but um, I don't know. I even beginning before the series, I had Tampa in six. I'll stick with that. If it was Tampa in five, it wouldn't even shock me. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like, do you remember the LA series against um, it was the Rangers and the devils. It kind of reminds me of both where like the Rangers, it was literally just LA freaking dominating and Hendrick Lundqvist standing on his head and it only went five games and they lost in overtime. And, the Devils was kind of similar, except it was Broder standing on his head and he managed to take it all the way to six for LA to win. But um, both kind of remind me similar, uh, like like to this, where I think Tampa is clearly going to be the better team. Montreal is going to steal a game or two here, but I, I just, I don't know if it's going to be enough to, like this Tampa team is so, so good. Yeah, that Rangers series is exactly what I was thinking of. Like I, I'm thinking like Tampa in five, but every game is close kind of thing. Like they don't embarrass them ever, but like Tampa's just, Tampa's just a better hockey team. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I, I would say, um, yeah, that, that five, one, like the five, one game one, if that's the highest like outscoring in this whole series, that wouldn't shock me at all. Like I, I see like a, a three, two Tampa win in overtime and then Montreal squeak went out two nothing or something like that. And then Tampa win game four by a goal or two and, and game five, it'll be over in overtime. Something along those lines wouldn't shock me, but. Didn't realize that game ended five, one. Yeah. It, it got out of hand at the end. Like it, it was, uh, 
Um, I'm trying to think of how late, because they, they scored a real late week one on Price last night. Like it was like a one-timer from Stamkos, I'm pretty sure. And it just beat Price short side. But uh, um, like, like even still, and the shots were 27-19. Montreal's going to need to generate more than 19 shots in a game to, uh, you know, to win or even come close to winning. Like it was just, there's only so many teams that you can only shoot 19 times again and either only lose by a goal or win, you know? Yeah. And Tampa is not one of them. No, no. Like Tampa is, a, yeah. Tampa's the last one probably I would say. Tampa has three forwards like that Kucherov stamp post point three headed dragon at the top that take like high slot, like top of the circle shots and make them dangerous. And there aren't many players in the league that can do that. And three of them are on the freaking Tampa Bay light. Yeah. And like, we'll get into this more because I want to, we got a bunch of news to keep moving on here too, but we get this more in a future week, but like Tampa's in a spot where they can roll it back again next year. Like they're not yeah. going to have, they're not going to have Goudreau or Coleman likely next year, but that is probably the only piece that they like, they're probably going to lose Tyler Johnson to, um, um, Seattle, like everyone seems like that might, that's just a given where they're going to give up Johnson and a first probably to Seattle, but like they actively want to do that. And they still have guys in the minors like Boris Kachuk, Taylor Radish, um, you know, Ross Colton was a great find for them this year. And they still have guys apparently in the minors that are just absolutely lighting it up and will just come up and replace the guys they lost, you know, maybe not to the same degree. I, I would assume they'll probably try and make another couple deadline additions, but like, they just have so many guys to replace anyone they might possibly lose that like they should probably be up in the top three favorites to, if they win this year to go three peat next year. There's such a ridiculous team. Like as long as Pascaleski is capable of putting up a nine thirty, Kucherov's like a 30 point playoff guy and Braden Point can score 10 plus goals. Like they just have enough good play, like absolutely insane hockey players that as long as they can find competent depth, they can absolutely just keep running it back. Yeah, it, it's just – it's absolutely insane. But, um, yeah, all, all you think you can really ask for is that the Stanley Cup final games are good, and I don't see why they wouldn't be. Like, I know we like to dunk on the, the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm sure it will continue, but uh, I, I don't think – I don't really see them just getting absolutely, like, toasted in those finals. Like, it's the NHL. Every team can hang with every team. I, I think it will be relatively good hockey. Exactly. It should be should be entertaining. I enjoy seeing the Habs lose, which should be extra entertaining. But yeah, like they're a, they're clearly a good enough defensive team that they're not going to be made look like idiots. Even if they do they do lose in a relatively short amount of time, they won't make them seem like pathetic. I don't think. Yeah, and they're they're a defensive team that's not completely boring either. Like there there's a lot of rush chances, and you know there's still a bunch of chances for the other team as well at times. So it's not like they just no events happen ever. It's just, you know, Montreal controls, tries to control when they happen. And it's, you know, it's more fun for Canadians fans, but it's not like it's just boring. You're not watching paint dry, which, you know, some other teams, it feels like you might be. It's not like the 2016 Minnesota wild or whatever. Although I will say there's been a lot of people coming out and trying to be like, no, Montreal is actually fun. That's also not true. We don't need to go too far the other way either. No, they're, they're a team that, you know, doesn't have as much skill as other teams that they played, and they play in a way that uh, counteracts that, and that's fine, you know? Yeah, they play to their strengths, and, hell, they're in the cup finals, work for them. 
Yep. Um, let's get on to a couple signings because those will probably take up the rest of this uh, podcast, and we'll, we'll quickly go over the coaching hires as well. Um, you know, but th- those I don't think aren't a- as big. Um, but Wayne Simmons, we'll start with that one. Two years, nine hundred k to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I was a little surprised at this one. I'm not going to lie. The two years is what threw me off, but I'm willing to bet that uh, the extra year was probably added on there to get the AAV down from like a 1.2, 1.3 to 900K. Um, yeah, I, I have mixed feel. I don't love this deal. I don't hate it either. I think this deal is a very fine deal if um, the, if the Toronto Maple Leafs actually show that they're willing to scratch him if he doesn't belong in the lineup, either this year or next year. But I don't know if I trust that. Yeah, I don't know. Because that makes this deal very tough to analyze because um, the problem with character guys is that NHL teams will sign a guy for like $7 million and the first thing they'll say is that he's got great character and stuff, which is hilariously stupid. But like a character guy for below buriable is almost impossible to complain about, especially with a guy like Simmons who on pace for like 15 goals last year, assuming they're going to, like you said, they're going to scratch him and or send him to minors or do whatever when he doesn't perform. Cause it's clear he shouldn't be a lineup every night guy. Yeah. Like I, I think they're probably uh, hoping for some bounce back at what it was at the start of the year. Cause he didn't really look like the same player after he had that hand injury halfway through the year. But yeah. I thought the start of the year, he looked pretty effective as like a, a fourth line guy. And yeah, you, you take him out maybe during back-to-backs and stuff like that. But, uh, um, and you know, next year is what I'm going to be very curious about too. So we'll see, but it just, yeah, it's one of those things where I don't think uh, it's that bad if they do what's right when they need to. But like we saw with Thornton, so, and obviously Simmons doesn't have quite as much the same respect as Joe Thornton, who's one of the best players ever to play the game right but like joe thornton should not have been in that lineup down the stretch every night but he said he wanted to be so they didn't take him out and they sorely felt that come playoff time because you could tell he didn't have the gas and you know wayne simmons i think is the exact same kind of way like i don't think he should he should not be playing a full 82 i don't think next year and if it gets obvious that he shouldn't be playing the full 82 take him out for a couple games and put him back in after like there's just there's not i don't I get as a player, you want to play every game, but from an asset management standpoint, you're not making a mistake to say, Hey, this guy needs five games off or whatever for him to have fresh legs. Like I just, I've never understand why that's like admitting a mistake or something like that, you know? Yeah. Especially somebody who's had like the aggressive miles that Wayne Simmons had. Yeah. Like it's just, it's clear that he plays a physical game. It's like, if you're playing a skilled team, like if you're playing the Tampa Bay lightning, you probably don't need Wayne Simmons out on the ice, you know? No. Although, like, when he's at his best, like, I thought Wayne Simmons was actually a really good fourth liner when he yeah, was at sure. his best. Like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. But, like, if, if he's – if you're getting 90% or 80% of Wayne Simmons, just sit him for a game. Yeah. Absolutely. It doesn't mean you have to sit him forever. Just sit him for a game or two, you know? Like – yeah, because all of a sudden, like, I thought he was a great fourth liner. But the problem with the term great fourth liner is that's still so mediocre that if you're not at 100%, Adam Brooks becomes a way better option or whoever the equivalent of Adam Brooks will be that every team has. Yeah, so 
Also be interested to see how else they surround the bottom six here, because I don't think bringing in a bunch of Wayne Simmons types is the correct way to do it. I think they should look for some more scoring, but having a Wayne Simmons type who is Wayne Simmons is not that bad either, you know? Yeah, because admittedly, most fourth liners don't score at the rate that Wayne Simmons does. No, especially like, yeah, like when he's on. And I, I always think Wayne Simmons is older too. Like he just, he's played such a hard game for so long that it feels like he's like 36, but I mean, he's 32. Like he's, he's getting up there for NHL players, obviously. But like, it's not like he's got like, he's not Jason Spezza or anything like that either. No, like there's, there's some hope, although he's been so beaten up that He's an old 32. Yes, yes, he is. It's a weird contract, though, because, like, it, it can be actually, I think, really nice, and it can go catastrophically, and it all depends on how smart they are about this. Yep, totally agree, and that's only something we can judge later, but, um, you know, for looking at what we know now, I, I don't hate it necessarily. Like, I don't really hate it at all. You know, I saw some fans complaining about it. I don't. I don't think I'd complain about it. Like it just, I think the playoffs just left a real sour taste in everyone's mouth, but uh, a, a pretty good piece of business, all things considered, you know, not, I, I, I probably wouldn't have wanted to sign anyone like over in, in my bottom six for more than one year from Toronto. But again, I'm assuming that second year probably was needed to get the AAV down. So if he's just so clearly toast this year or whatever, you could just bury him in the minors next year, hopefully. Exactly, because as long as the AAV is below variable, which it is, all he's doing is taking up a contract spot and like the marginal value of your like 48th contract spot is probably like, I don't know, one fifth of a seventh round pick or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's get into the big one then. This is one I was not expecting to get signed until after the expansion draft, but I'm almost wondering if the expansion draft caused it to get signed this early because there was rumors that he might talk to Seattle. Ryan Nugent Hopkins signs an eight-year deal in uh, uh, Edmonton and then a cap hit at 5.1.25, not at all what I thought was going to come. Comes for a $41 million total value, which ironically enough was right around where I thought he might get anyways. Um, But I thought it was going to come in the form of like a, seven by six or something like that, or a 7.5 or an eight by five, something or like an eight mil or 7.5 mil by five years. I did not see eight years, uh, but I also did not see 5.125 full no move clause with it as well. This one is painfully obvious that Edmonton said, we will give you the full length if you give us two mil off your salary per year or so. And um, I don't hate it considering where they are in their uh, competing cycle. Yeah, I expected to really hate this contract. And I don't love it, but it's better than I expected, if that makes sense. I think this contract has potential to provide positive value when you look at the total of eight years. But I think it's going to very clearly come in that they're going to get a good surplus of value right now. But by years six, seven, and eight, they're going to be hurting on that a little more. But even that being said, like, I think if their their fingers are probably crossed that the cap keeps going up. And by the time you're in year seven of this deal, 5 million for, let's say Nuge is a fourth liner at that time. It's like, yeah, that's not great, but it's like a 2 million overpayment or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like there are ways in which you could see this being all right. I guess one of the things though, is like, how high do you think Nuge has to fall from? 
like how good do you think he even is right now? I would say he's like a fringe first line winger slash fringe second line center, if that makes sense. Like I'd say he's almost between a two and three. So he's been, he clearly can't drive his own line. No, like I, I just, I, I think that's been proven, right? Yeah. So what worries me is the bulk of his value then comes on Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl's power play. Yeah, but Which, I, I don't know. Like, I think there is something to be said to actually have give those guys at least one, especially Dreisaitl. You know, Connor McDavid, I honestly think you could put two sacks of potatoes with him and he would still put up a 95-point season or whatever. But, like, I do think there is something to be said about having an actual NHL player alongside Leon Dreisaitl. Oh, yeah. Like, he's definitely competent. I, I agree with your sort of thing. Like, I think he's very clearly not a first-line player. But, like, he's that middle six where he can be, like, really, really good on a second line. And then he can't drive his own line. He probably could if it was a third line sort of yeah, area. Yeah, like, that's the other thing. If they would just commit to having him play third line, like, paying your third-line center $5 million, like, yeah, it's not ideal, but, like, if your first two centers are McDavid and Dreisaitl, it's like, oh yeah, then suddenly you feel good about RNH because it's like not as great as the Cadre thing that Toronto had a couple years ago, but it's a similar idea, right? But like they just they never bother to stick with that, so we don't even know. Yeah, and I don't know if they have the wingers. I think the best version of the Edmonton Oilers, they're doing that, but like this version's wingers are so bad. I don't even know if that is the best way to do it. Yeah, that's also fair because it's like on the best version of the Edmonton Oilers, like Yamamoto is probably on the third line when, you know, you actually have some kind of top six winger to go in Edmonton, right? Like, so the third line could be like RNH, Yamamoto, and Pugliarvi or something like that. Maybe not Pugliarvi. He fit really well with uh, um, McDavid, but like. Yamamoto, RNH, and Jujar Kara or Tyler Ennis, and it's not Jujar Kara and Tyler Ennis or Alex Chayason or something like that. Like you have like a legitimate second line winger also playing on your third line, which would be helpful. But yeah, when unfortunately they just have to move them up. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Like I, I, I think it makes sense in terms of where their window is. Yeah, this is one of the more justifiable eight-year contracts for non-superstars I've ever seen. Yeah, I would. I, I'd rather them sign this than like seven and a half mil for five years or whatever. Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. Because like the nice part about five is he doesn't need to be great to justify that. And, yeah, I don't and think- honestly, I think he doesn't even need to be great to justify. I mean, now he's, if he's got a full no move, that might be, or full no trade, that might be a little harder. But like by the end of this contract, it feels like it's, it'll be a very movable deal, even if you need to do that. Right. And like obviously that wouldn't be ideal. But if you need to clear that five million up, like I, if there's three years, it feels like it could be like a Tyler Johnson situation. Right. Like, yeah, like you can do it. It's just going to cost. Yeah, and like obviously that's not ideal, but if that's your worst case scenario where it's like, oh yeah, it'll cost us a pick to get rid of this guy that we're fine keeping, but like if we if there's better ways to spend our money, we will. I don't think that's the end of the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like it's obviously yeah, like that that makes sense. In hindsight, I'm sure they 
would have enjoyed getting like a first round pick for him plus at the deadline. But like given how bad the Canadian division was, you can't judge them for. Yeah, absolutely. I think if they would have known that they were going to go into these playoffs and get swept, I definitely think they would have probably traded him or moved on because I don't think it would be the end of the world if they didn't re-sign him either. Um, like, again, because like, everything we just said is also true about how we've been saying for the past three years, they need to go add basically more Ryan Nugent Hopkins to this team. Um, so, you know, you can kind of look at it as like that, or you can look as counterproductive to get rid of the R&H that you already had. Same with the Eberly idea, right? Like how good would Jordan Eberly look on, on Edmonton right now? It's like, well, you, you had Jordan Eberly. You traded him one for one for Adam Larson, you know? It's actually amazing how I know. Oh, actually, it was, it was Taylor Hall. I, God damn it. This team is so stupid. Yeah. Sorry, what were you saying? It's amazing how like people actually didn't see what Shirelli was doing as wrong at the time. Also, happy five years of the uh, – it was one for one. Five years ago today, the one-for-one, the Stamco signing happened yet last night, and the Subban trade happened last night. I'll never forget, I was uh, I was texting Vinny that Hall got traded to New Jersey for Larson, and this was before we knew for sure that it was one-for-one. He's like, oh, what else do you think is going with it? I was like, oh, probably Severson and then a pick or something like that. And then, of course, it comes back. But it's just Larson. That was just one-for-one, one. Yeah absolutely insane couple minutes in hockey there but uh yeah i don't know it'll be interesting to see i I think this contract is okay like definitely a lot of risk at the end i I doubt it would be it's not going to be value for the entire contract but i could see it being like a bunch of surplus value for the next three or four years or three years kind of even value for two years and not surplus value for the last three years and either balances out or you know maybe they win a little maybe they lose a little that'll be interesting to see but just for where this team is right now, I, I don't think it's a bad price at all. And uh, it gives them, you know, that extra two mil, two and a half mil doesn't seem like much, but that might be the difference between getting, say, like a third liner and a guy who like, like a Tyler Toffoli or something like that, you know, like. Exactly. Because they don't have a, actually they have more room than I thought to work with, but they also need to make a ton of signings. So like that $2 million could be huge. Um, yeah. I was like they, at, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Terrific just as like the general, like what you were saying, uh, Dom had it as a slight expected value loss, but like by enough that I can only assume it was within error bars of a break even contract. Yeah. So, um, and that's kind of, that's kind of what it seems like it's going to be right. Like it's just, it's one of those where they clearly said we're going to lose on the end of this, but it's way more important to wait on it right now. And if you're Ken Holland, that's probably why you like, you don't care what's happening this team in eight years. What are the odds Ken Holland's going to be here in eight years? Like, yeah, exactly. And who knows what 32-year-old Connor McDavid's going to be like, but we know exactly what 25-year-old Connor McDavid's going to be like, and that is absolutely freaking amazing. So, Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna be, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because they're at now $16 million in cap space, but they got to re-sign uh, four defensemen. Well, not, not really. They have seven defensemen on their contract, but probably one or two. I, I think they – I'm praying they let – for their sake, they let Tyson Berry walk it sounds like they're going to let Adam Larson walk as well. Um, so they have, they, they might have a young, I, I think they're going to look for like a um, second pair kind of veteran defense because they have a pretty young one right now. Darnell nurse, Ethan bear, Chris Russell, Evan Bouchard, Philip Broberg, Caleb Jones, William Logason. And then up front, they have a bunch of depth forwards to sign. They have 10 under contract right now. Uh, they have UFAs of chase on Tyler Ennis, 
Patrick Russell, and then Jujar Kara, Kyler Yamamoto, and Dominic Cahoon are all RFAs. I would assume all the RFAs are will be back, so they'll put them at 13, but like Dominic Cahoon and Jujar Kara don't need to be like regular everyday players, or like same with Dev, Devin Shore, right? So there's definitely going to be, I would wager to guess they're probably going to have. Oh yeah. And they got to resign Mike Smith. It sounds like what they're going to do as well. And apparently they're either going to buy out or trade Miko Koskinen. Really? Yeah. That's what I've heard. Uh, and they're going to go look for another goaltender, but I, I don't know. And Oh yeah. Clef, Clef bomb is on LTIR right now. So he'll be back. Maybe they don't really don't need to go get a defenseman. I don't know. It's still... League leading def- in defenseman points. Tyson Barrett. Yeah. They should yeah. probably sign the huge contract. Someone is actually going to give Tyson Bear like six by six or seven by seven. It's going to be the most disgusting thing in the world. But um, yeah, th- this team has a, uh, this should be a busy off season for them because they, they have a lot of definitely possible options. I, I think, I don't know what, like they'll probably have, they're definitely going to have room to add a top six forward if they want to. Yes. Yeah. They, and, they don't have unlimited space, but they can clearly add. And they feel like they should be, I, I, I really think this team, and obviously it's a little um, risky because you have to find the right guy and hope that the guys actually stay. But like, I would almost rather them be a team that waits for like the Tyler Toffoli's like last year than a team that just goes out and grabs the first most highly touted guy on day one of free agency. Like get this year's Tyler Toffoli, say it's Thomas Tatar. Like get yeah. him. Money instead of Paul Mary on day one kind of thing. Like you could probably with, I mean, I don't know how much, you know, Tatar's value is going to hurt from here, but like you could probably get Tatar in like a three by three or something like that. Maybe, maybe not quite that much, but, or even a one year deal at $3 million to help recoup his value or something like do that instead of, yeah, going swinging on Paul Mary or Taylor Hall or whatever on, on, I mean, I'm assuming Taylor Hall probably resigned, but like whoever makes it to free agency is that big winger. Like try to stay away from that if you can and, you know, wait and see till, you know, two, two or three weeks in, if there's someone still sitting there that you actually like, then go swing at one of them. Yeah. I have no faith in them doing that, but I think that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. Well, and I mean like as an organization who needs to add someone, it's, a scary thing to propose, but because, you know, you're, you're really playing that there will be someone left and you're not going to be left without a seat. Right. But at the same time, like, I just, I I think that is probably smarter than just kind of like, I I don't know. Like, I think that is probably the smarter option than just going and swinging up Palmieri at a six by six or whatever. Oh, almost certainly. Cause winning a bidding war on day one of free agency is, usually a bad contract yeah and also for um edmonton this year like they're gonna have the ability that where seattle's taking a player from every team right so maybe seattle's got an extra winger or someone and you know you can get not a steal but like just decent value say you would have had to pay a first usually maybe you pay a second and a fifth or whatever for a, a solid winger and you pick him up via trade or whatever yeah because edmonton really i guess Puyarvi will be one of them and then I don't know about Yamamoto, but like Edmonton has four forwards that I look at and say they need to be protected. And after that, they're looking pretty good for the expansion draft. That's the advantage of having a terribly built team is you don't need to protect as many players. Yeah, I've seen Caleb Jones as the one who gets taken in amongst the mocks. Yeah, that, that I can see. 
That makes sense. Yeah. Not- and, you know, Edmonton won't love that, but it's not, I don't think it's like the end of the world or whatever, but. You could do a lot worse. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to go through the coaching hires real quick? Yeah, might as well. Won't spend too much time on this. Uh, um, Gallant goes to uh, the Rangers. I like this. I think I think this signals that the Rangers still think that they're closer to contending than maybe me and you think. But uh, I like Gallant as a coach. I'm almost shocked it took this long for him to get back in the game. But uh, I don't know. I think it's a pretty solid fit overall. And I'm going to be interested to see how the rookies develop under him. Or rookies, young guys, I should say. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this means they think they're like Stanley Cup contenders next year. It's probably not good for the overall direction of the team, but like I see no way in which hiring Gallant isn't an absolute win at the moment. No, I think it probably signifies they think they're playoff contenders at the very least. Yeah, you know? which like, fair they are. Yeah, like I think they. I think they should just be I, – I think I'll probably still have them missing, but not by, like, a ton. Like, they'll be right on that outside bubble looking for a wild card next year, I think. Yeah, they're an all right team. They're not – I don't think they'll be in, like, that top four of, like, legit cup contenders or the next four of, like, reasonable cup contenders. But, like, I think they'll be in that next tier of teams, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, I, I think I'll have them, like, the 12th to – 18 slash 20 ish range where it's like, you're good enough to maybe sneak in, maybe just miss. You're probably going to lose in round one, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah. But that's uh, probably a win for the franchise. They'd probably be happy with that. Yep. Um, Granado gets uh, re-signed in Buffalo. He was the interim head coach. Seems like a pretty good guy. Um, I don't think this, he gets a three-year deal. This is going to be three years of hell continuing in Buffalo. Cause it looks like they're probably going to trade Jack Eichel and restart the rebuild. Uh, so I guess it doesn't really matter who you hire, but I also saw a couple of the Buffalo guys uh, that I follow on stats, Twitter, pretty happy about it too. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much of an opinion on this guy. I'm not going to lie. I didn't spend very many seconds of my life subjecting myself to watching this Buffalo Sabres team, but like nope, as long as an active liability, whoever they have in this phase almost doesn't matter. Well, and I saw it was, um, it was Kevin. I forget his handle at, uh, Oh, NT. I know he ride or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, he was saying he was like, uh, he was tweeting that he said he, he was on, he liked Donato, but then he liked him even more in one of his press conferences, he was, he was asked a question about, I think it was Dylan cousins getting matched up against Sidney Crosby. And he said, here it was. I was basically always behind Granado, but was officially sold when instead of giving some boilerplate nonsense, he had a detailed answer for his reasoning by using Dylan cousins to match up against Crosby one weekend, including remembering specific details of the games. Uh, and then he said, commitment to development isn't just playing the young guys. It's about understanding the different hand you have for each player and what fits best and conveying them to genuinely care about their success. And I completely agree. And if he is doing any of that, that is better than I think, a good portion of the coaches we see at times. So that is a plus to me. Yeah, that sounds good. It's kind um, of cool. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just said the kind of thing you like to hear. Yep, okay. absolutely. And the final one and most surprising, in my opinion, Dave Axtall going to Seattle. He's been with Toronto for a couple of years as assistant coach. This one really came out of nowhere. Like his name was not linked until the day of when someone's like, yeah, I'm hearing Axtall might be a name. And 
they hire him as the first coach uh, in their franchise's history. Bit of an odd one to me. I don't know if it's going to matter, but. Yeah, this was weird. Um, kind of failed miserably in Philly. People, Leafs fans were saying like good riddance, which is odd because I think the Leafs defense and penalty kill was generally fine this year. So I don't really know how to take this signing. It, I didn't see it coming. And it's kind of mixed results for Axel in the NHL. Yeah, I'm just kind of under of like, it, I don't really think it matters if I'm being honest. Like, I just, I don't, I, I don't think the Seattle team is going to be very good. I know some people have kind of wondered, are they going to have the pressure seeing how good Vegas is? I think ownership knows this team probably won't be very good, but it's not like this is going to be a super young team or anything right away either. Like they don't have draft picks right away. So it's not like it's going to be a bunch of rookies and shit like that. It's going to be a bunch of 26 year olds who are meh NHL players. And if your coach sucks, so be it, because your roster is probably not that good, and you're just going to get a high pick anyways. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of a weird thing. I think Seattle should be smart enough, because everybody's going to try to overlearn from what Vegas did when they're talking about Seattle. The reality is Seattle's almost certainly going to be horrible, and they've hired enough smart people that I'm sure they understand that. Well, it's not everything coming into it sounds, and then the pandemic, a bunch of teams over, right? Like, Teams were coming in. We're not going to do this again with Vegas. We're not going to do this again with Vegas. Well, guess what? Flat cap really ruined people's plans to where now it sounds like a bunch of teams are going to be like, oh, yeah, we will offload a contract to uh, Seattle. They can take our pick as well. It's like, okay, well, this is exactly what Vegas did. The only difference is you gave the pick for them not to take someone instead of you telling them who to take. And I'm sure Seattle will be like, yeah, we'll take that and we'll pluck this prospect or whatever out with you. But, um, yeah, from a coaching standpoint, I don't – I don't think it matters. Like I, I saw some people defending his time in Philly too. I always thought he was not great in Philly. I thought his roster was pretty good and he had an okay record, but generally underperformed. But um, yeah, like I, I thought the defense last year in Toronto was not just like not bad, like noticeably way better. Like, so, and, and who knows if that was Keith, if that was him, but if he had a big role in that, then I don't mind taking another swing on him because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like I just, I really don't think there's going to be anything to ruin on this Seattle team. Yeah, I, I agree. And I do think the biggest reason Toronto looked competent defensively for the first time was just TJ Brody coming in. Like, yes. Yeah. I think it's more personnel than coaching, but. Well, like, I don't know the best, like, all Dave Hackstall had to work with is what he was given and what he was given got good results in the regular yeah. season. And, like and how many times did you hear about people complaining about like defensive usage? Basically not at all. I there can't were... remember. Like I can't maybe Sandine. I think maybe people want a little more, but that's yeah, like the, the only one I can think of. Yeah. Like sometimes we want to see Dermot more, but like, People were just overwhelmingly content with the uh, Leafs defense this year. And like they blew up in the playoffs, but they, they had the lowest goals against per game. If I remember correctly, they still do. So like yeah, they lost, they lost their elite two C and Jake Muzzin as well. Like, yeah. Like, I don't think the defense was like just absolutely horrid in the playoffs as they made one or two mistakes and Montreal took advantage of them. Like, yeah, exactly. They happened to make a couple of horrible mistakes, but. I'm not sure Haxtell could have prevented that Dermot from <laughs> No, he's not the one skating on the ice. And, you know, he's not 
telling Gallagher to shoot the puck across the blue line while Bogosian's making a pinch or whatever, right? So, yeah. So, I don't know. Overall, it is what it is. I, I got caught off guard, but uh, don't really have a strong opinion on it one way or the other. Uh, there's very few coaches that really make me feel that way. So, um, yeah, that's all I have this week. Uh, you got anything else? I don't think so. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back uh, next week. I think we'll try and get back on a weekly schedule here. Um, I wrote something actually for Mile High Hockey. You can go check it out. It is out today. Uh, should they trade Nazem Kadri? Uh, <laughs> bit of a sensitive t- subject right now, obviously coming off the playoff suspension, but uh, it's something I kind of want to deep dive at some point in the in, on the podcast this year too, because I think it's an interesting topic. But yeah, I wrote my thoughts about why Colorado should and should not trade Nazem Kadri heading into his final year of his deal. Um, I'm going to try and get some more stuff for last word on hockey out as well for send stuff, but uh, um, I don't know. I'm not a big draft guy. So right now it's not really my cup of tea on anything um, for prospects or anything, but uh, the last word on sends podcast will be starting back up this coming week. I took a couple weeks break. Just again, there was literally no send stuff going on. So what is there to talk about? Right. But uh, yeah, you can follow chase on Twitter at CM hockey 66 myself on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff. I hope you all enjoy and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.